0: This morning's reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 14, very easy to find right at the back. If you've got the church Bible, it's page 1249. And this passage is entitled, The New Jerusalem. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb.
1: What is it um, that you're looking forward to most? I'm sure there are a lot of things coming up which um, you might enjoy doing. Maybe a birthday party, anniversary party, maybe a wedding for a couple of people here, uh, a holiday, maybe a trip to the Olympics, maybe you're looking forward to being able to go out and buy that new car or uh, have some work done to your kitchen. Some things just um, sort of creep up on us. You wake up in the morning and uh, you realise that uh, it's your anniversary and you've forgotten to get your husband or wife a card or present. But others will occupy your thoughts for weeks, for months, maybe even years. That day when sometime in the future you'll get married. The day when your mortgage is paid off. The day when you retire. The day when you're signed off by your doctor as being back to full health. What we look forward to reveals often what is most important to us. And many of the things that we look forward to are good things, but um, are often not actually mentioned much in the Bible. In fact, um, in Matthew, as we read the words uh, from Jesus, they're actually mentioned as unimportant. This is what Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be for the coming of the Son of Man. People were so focused on the things of this earth that they'd ignored the things of God. Now we've come to the end of our series in uh, 2 Peter. Finally, you might say. And in this last passage, if you'd like to turn to 2 Peter 3. In just three times, in th- just a few verses, that occurs this phrase to look forward to. Let's um, start reading at verse 11 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, 1,224 in the Church Bibles. It says this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And so there are two questions I'd like to address this morning. The first of those is, what exactly should we be looking forward to? What is it that we should be looking forward to? And secondly, if we are looking forward to it, what difference should it make to our daily lives? What difference should it make to our daily lives? Well, the thing that we should be looking forward to is a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. When you've lived in the same place for many years, it um, becomes difficult to think about moving. It's familiar, you have friends close by, you've lost lots of memories from the time you've spent in that home we have still got the marks on the wall to show the different heights of the children as they've uh, they've grown up. For old people, it's difficult to give up their home and move into a residential care home. But sometimes it's only when we, we move that we see the limitations of our previous home. Our eyes open to a whole new world of opportunities. As human beings, we've only ever known life on this earth. It's difficult to comprehend a life in a different place we can't appreciate a life that will be so much fuller than this one and so when we think about heaven we tend to think about it in earthly terms and ask questions about things that we enjoy in this life as if they are somehow the yardstick of satisfaction will I still be able to play golf some people might ask will I be able to enjoy music will I be able to sing in a concert like I did last night Will I be able to enjoy a good meal? But imagine if we were living on earth a thousand years ago. And for us, the best thing we could think of would be going for a ride on our horse. And we would say, will there be a horse in heaven that we can ride? But imagine if that person was then shown a sports car or an aeroplane. They wouldn't be able to fathom what that was all about. It's a bit like that, I think, with our perception of heaven. We cannot possibly grasp how good it will be. But there are some things that the Bible tells us about heaven. And what it does tell us, as we heard earlier on, is that it is truly everything that is truly precious to us as Christians is in heaven. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, He is in heaven. doesn't mean He is only there. After all, he is, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere, but it is in heaven that his full glory is revealed, that his full blessing is experienced. In heaven, every being worships God. You can't be in heaven and not worship God. Jesus Christ is in heaven. Hebrews 9 says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Every believer who has died, including many of our loved ones, is in heaven. Imagine what a joy it will be to see them again. Some relationships will be different in the sense there won't be, be married couples because we'll have the bride of Christ, we'll have the, the greatest intimacy of all, our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have the, his bride but we'll still meet those who are dear to us. We'll see them again. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong. We are temporary residents here. We will be going back home. That is our home. And finally, our real wealth, our eternal reward, as Jesus said, is in heaven. So everything we should love, everything we value... Everything of eternal worth is in heaven. And if we trust in Jesus for our salvation, then when we die, we will leave this earth and go to be with him in heaven. But the Bible says a bit more about heaven than simply that because the Bible talks in the passage we we read um, just now about a new heaven and a new earth. In Isaiah 65, God says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Now, passage from Revelation 20 on, which Peter read for us, um, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And here, in 2 Peter 3, if you go back to verse 10, it says, The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And moving on to verse 13, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven, and a new earth. The old earth will pass away, and a new earth will be created just as God intended it to be. As I know with my uh, rotten window frames at home, there's only so much filler you can put in. There's only so long you can keep repairing something before you need to rip it out and start again. You can't put sticking plasters over deep wounds. This is not a righteous world in which we live. There is some good in this world, thanks to God's grace, but everything in this world, including people, has been affected in some way by sin. The new heaven and the new earth, on the other hand, will be the home of righteousness. Now, what does that mean to say it's the home of righteousness? Well, turn back if you were to chapter 2, verse 7, and uh, here it talks about God's destruction of the world, Um, how he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah but he rescued Lot who is described as a righteous man and the way he describes um, Lot is he was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men it says he was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard lawlessness is disobedience to God's law It's rebellion against God. It's not taking seriously the promise of judgment. Righteous people are distressed by lawlessness because righteousness is obedience to the law of God. The home of righteousness is where God's will will be done. That is where there are no rebellious people. At the moment, heaven is the home of righteousness. That is the place outside time and space where God's full glory is known. But in the future, after the Day of Judgment, there will no longer be that division because there will only be those who are righteous. So heaven and earth will come together. That's what Revelation 21 was getting at when it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, God himself will be with them and be their God. Earth and heaven come together because now there is nothing separating us from God. And our greatest joy will be to see God face to face. Now, what does that mean to see God face to face? Obviously, God doesn't have a human face. Um, I think Grudem, in his book, if you know this book, Christian Beliefs, 20 Basics, Every Christian Should Know. I very much recommend that book to you. This is the way he describes what that will be like in his section on heaven. He says, Our greatest joy will be that we will see his face. The sight of God's face will be the fulfilment of everything we know to be good, right and desirable in the universe. In God's face, we will see and experience the fulfilment of all the longing we have ever had to know perfect love, peace and joy and to know truth and justice, holiness and wisdom, goodness and power, glory and beauty. For we will discover that in God's presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Glory of being in God's presence. The implications of being in the home of righteousness are, are wider than that. As it goes on to say in Revelation 21, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And we won't even be able to remember those things. Isaiah says the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In God's presence, you, you cannot feel sad. <clears throat> it will be an amazing place that we should look forward to. The second question, though, is if we are looking forward to it, then what difference should it make to our daily lives now? Or as Peter asks here in verse 11 of chapter 3, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, if we're looking forward to it, we'll be preparing ourselves for it. What do you do when you, you look forward to going on holiday to a country you've never visited before? You might go and buy a book or you might uh, go and uh, have a look on the internet and find out about that country. What are the best places to visit? Does it have its own currency? Do you need any vaccinations? What's worth buying there? What is the weather like? What should I wear when I go there? You might even try and learn some of the language before you go. And you do all that in preparation so that when you get there, you can enjoy it. It feels like you know something of it already. And it's the same with heaven. If you are looking forward to it, then you'll be preparing for it. But how do we prepare for heaven? Well, Peter writes here, you ought to live, in verse 11, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Or verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. The great thing about the gospel of Jesus is that if we accept that He's taken the punishment that we deserve. If we commit to follow him, then we are no longer guilty in God's sight. We are considered spotless. We are considered righteous. And it's on that basis that God will welcome us into heaven. But surely if we have our glorious future to look forward to in heaven, the home of righteousness, then we'll want to prepare for that by living lives now that are less and less marked by sin, because there will be no sin in heaven. We'll never rid ourselves completely of sin in this life, but we should have an incentive to try, with God's spirit, to live holy and godly lives. (coughs) Now the trouble is we may look forward to a holiday, but um, we don't find time to prepare for it. Uh, I remember when I was working in the bank, I had at times to, to phone Liz up from the office and say, look, I'm not going to be able to get home in time. Uh, I'm going to have to get a taxi and and see you at the airport. Um, Do you mind bringing my suitcase with you? Oh, and can you pack it as well? (laughs) Now, that is a crazy way of living, isn't it? But it's often a good picture of our attitude towards heaven. Yes, we say we're looking forward to it, but there are more important things to worry about now that stop us preparing for it. And so we don't live the godly lives that we're called to live. What is it that stops us being focused on heaven? What are the the hindrances in our preparation for heaven? Well, I think one thing is that we have become too attached to this world. Let's turn over the page. Actually, it's the same page. Uh, 1 John 2, just over the other side. (coughs) No, sorry, it's over the page. Verse 15. This is what John writes. He writes, Do you not love the world or anything in the world? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, (coughs) excuse me, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The three biggest temptations in this world are sex, money and power or status which are summarised there the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes the boasting of what he has and does. And Let's not pretend that we in the church are somehow immune to those temptations. The reason the church in the West is not as healthy as other parts of the world is due to the economic prosperity of the world in which we live here. It makes us seek comfort, makes us seek success, makes us seek control over our own lives. And it pushes God out. It makes us lose our desire for heaven, our focus on heaven. We spend so much time trying to control our lives to ensure our comfort and security that we leave little room for God. And if we stop for a moment just to think that all we have comes from Him, not from ourselves, then we might be more keen to go and be with Him. But it's not just becoming too attached to the things we have in this world that takes our focus away from heaven. It's also the worry, isn't it, that that we will lose them. We become too worried about losing the things of this world. Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well I don't think at uh, any time in history people have enjoyed so much health and wealth as we do in the western world today but however good these things may be the trouble is that they can deaden our faith and so the talk of a Euro crisis, of recession, of, of redundancy, makes people panic, including those in the church. It makes us question whether God really is in control. There are other Christians in the world who are living life hand to mouth, who don't know where the next meal will come from, who don't know if they become ill, whether they'll have the medication to, to make them well. And that is why their faith is so strong and why ours are so weak. That is why their focus on heaven is so clear, and ours is so blurred. I know that there are some of you here who are having to take each day as it comes, who who don't know what tomorrow has in store. But we should all be living as though this day were our last, thanking God for his mercies, which are new every morning. Leading godly lives is to hold loosely to the things of this world. It's to not worry about losing them, because we look forward with excitement to the things of heaven. Which brings me on to my last point, that by looking forward to heaven, what we're actually doing is is witnessing for Christ. We're witnesses for Christ in our attitude towards heaven. Verse 15 says... um, Having said, making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him, Paul goes on, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, the reason the Lord is delaying his coming is explained back in verse 9. If you turn back there, it says he doesn't want any to perish, but all, everyone to come to repentance. He is only putting up with all the wickedness, all the rebellion, in this world, that people may come to repentance. And if that is why God delays his coming, because he wants people to come to repentance, then that should be a priority for us as we live out our daily lives. And you're probably expecting me at this point to say, well, therefore we should go and tell others about Jesus, which, yes, we should do. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because one of the most powerful ways in which we can point other people to Jesus Christ is in our attitude to heaven. If people see that we are just focused on this world, just like anybody else, if we are just as worried about the cares of this world as anybody else, then they won't think that there's anything exciting about heaven, about knowing Christ. They'll think, well, what difference does his or her faith make to them? When it comes to our use of money and time, if people see that we just spend it on the things of this world because we want to get all we can out of this world, then they'll think, well, what difference does it make? But if we're spending it on others, as we're storing our up treasures in heaven, as we give thanks to God for all that we have, acknowledging it comes from him, then that will have a real impact on people. When it comes to the struggles of this world, which we can be open and honest about, we don't need to hide those struggles, that pain but does it come through an inner peace a a strength because we know that God is in control of our situation in the words of the hymn that we should be singing later when peace like a river attends all my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my path you have taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul do we make clear that when the time comes that we are looking forward to going home to be with the Lord as the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord It was Paul's concern for others that um, gave him a desire to continue in this life but his preference was to be at home with the Lord on Thursday was the funeral of uh, Judy Hewer's mum, Vi, who will be known to, to many of you here. She was one who was able to, to look forward to being with the Lord, who was able to tell others not to grieve as those who have no hope, but to rejoice in where she was going. If we are believers here this morning, can we honestly say that we would prefer to be at home with the Lord? And if you're someone here this morning who's not a believer, do you really think that this world is all there is? Yes, there are good things in this world, but there are far better things to look forward to. Does your inner being really yearn for, for something more? God is a patient God. He's a loving God. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But he's also a holy God. He's a righteous God. He won't accept rebellion indefinitely. He has promised destruction of this world, of the scoffers, it says here. But he's also promised the creation of a new world, a new heaven and earth to which he will gather all his people. And we don't know when that second coming will be, but we do need to be ready. And so the passage concludes here in verse 17 with these words of warning. Therefore, dear friends, Since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We're going to sing before we come around the Lord's table.